0: As we continue the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm number 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing his seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for that Psalm that they sang along the way when they made Aliyah toward Jerusalem. May it be that we come into your presence today with shouts of joy, for truly you have done great things for us, and we are glad. And as Grant mentioned, we live in a world of trouble, but we know where we are headed and know why we will get there, and we thank you for that. And Lord, in this flux of war, we pray for the salvation of those who currently follow Islam, those of your chosen people who are blind to the Messiah, and for those who are non-Muslim or Jewish in their following that are secular, that the struggles of this day will bring goodness and salvations and touch our lives, Lord, that we not blithely go through our life. Yes, we are joyful that we are saved. But let us not be so comfortable that we live others. We do continue to pray for revival. Revive our land, Lord. And begin here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Grab a Bible. Open to Psalm 126 as I hug my friend Fenton. Thank you, Fenton. You know, I... uh, I know I might have mentioned this once or twice, but I was a youth pastor uh, for 23, 25 years, depending on where you're counting, where you start, and where you you end. Um, I was a youth pastor for for most of my adult life, and because of that, I have the great joy of meeting uh, out there in the world um, kids that were in my youth group, or kids that had a friend that was in the youth group and came around for a while and maybe went on a trip with us or, or something. We had a few laughs back when they were in high school. And, and one of the things that uh, breaks my heart is when I meet kids and, you know, now they're just, you see life is just, you know, now now they're in their like late twenties and life is just like, you know, like done what life does to us. And they'll say things like, man, being in youth group was some of the best times in my life i haven 't felt peace like that i haven 't felt like like centered like that i haven 't felt like a community like that since I was in youth group. That was great and I always want to say just come home like it 's still there we 're still there. You could still, i mean you, you, you want to volunteer in youth that 's great, but we've got old people now who are your age and even older, and we all love each other and you could you could have that same experience but um, but you know truthfully, it's one of the things that in youth ministry you just know that a lot of a lot of people are there um, for a season um, while they're in high school. Um, the The hardest thing I always say about being a youth pastor is seeing those four soils um, just so easily identifiable. Um, you remember the four soils in the parable that Jesus told there's some that in one ear and out the other it's the Seeds scattered on the pavement that never took root. And believe it or not, you can tell when a kid is just not paying attention. He's there for the dodgeball. You open up a Bible and he go, oh my gosh, are we doing this again? You can tell. This kid, this person doesn't have a heart for the Lord. And, um, you know, unless God opens his his, his heart, it's not going to be me that does it. And then you see some kids that just, they just come to Christ and stay there and you see the fruit in their life. It's, sometimes it's numerical, they bring their friends, but other times the fruit in their life is like, man, they are, they're growing, they're maturing, they're making better decisions. They're, they're like growing in love and joy and peace, like this is awesome. But those middle two seeds will break your heart. When you see somebody, In my experience is, youth kids but you probably have experience um in in other places um but you'll see a human just hear the story of jesus and it changes their life and 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 they're very quick to respond or maybe they're not quick maybe it's a season of knuckleheadery and and then some something says somebody says something and frequently it's not the youth pastor frequently it's one of their friends says something and they go okay i get it the scales are off i'm in Um, but their life is really weedy and, uh, they're busy. You remember that weedy soil said the, the busyness of life and the cares of the world choke out faith. And, um, you know, I'll tell you a kid, it, it, what I've seen is, uh, a high school student trying to be in 700 AP classes and do a great job and, be a varsity athlete and multiple things, and also, um, you know, be a concert violin player and whatever. There's there's just a lot, and then on top of that, um, they spend a lot of time uh, in a high school, which is a very difficult place to be, and um, it's weedy. And sometimes you see somebody who responded, and not only that, but they've got stuff going on at home too. Um, they responded. But then, it's really nobody's fault, just life choked out faith. They had a moment where they were very close to the Lord. It would be impossible to, by all we think, it'd be impossible to say, oh, that kid, he doesn't really mean it. No, he means it. Um, But the weeds choked it out. You remember that rocky soil? That'll break your heart too. Um, The rocky soil is um, just lack of depth. The Seed sprung up very quickly, but the roots didn't go down very far. And since the roots didn't go down very far, when the trouble of the world, when that scorching wind came, it just didn't have what it what it took. And and you know, um, you were in youth group. You heard your youth pastor say, "So that means you have to pray and read your Bible." And you know, that's an overly simplified way to do it. But if you want to grow roots you got to pray and read your Bible. <laughs> like, that's still true, you know, and, and grow in, in, in your knowledge of God. And um, watching those two, two seeds happen in real time is, is heartbreaking. And when I run into somebody who I know had an experience when they were just a little goofy 15-year-old that, that seemed life-changing at the moment, and, but then they've walked away, um, man, I hope that they've read Psalm 126. And you know, the truth is, those, we take those, those four soils to just relate to, we take that as primarily a soteriological passage. It just has to do with salvation, but it doesn't. Rather, there's all kinds of truths. There's all kinds of, of, of wisdom that spring up in you and me very quickly. And we go, yes, that's it. But then the cares and worries of the world kind of choke out that good decision. Or sometimes we just didn't have enough roots. I know what it's like to shoot out of the gate and then get distracted, get tired, get tempted. To lose the joy of my initial decision. Have you ever seen when they'll... Uh, You know, if you're ever lacking joy, it's not illegal to just YouTube search for basset hound videos, and they'll they'll do something in the middle of horse races. Well, they'll have basset hound races, you know, and so they go. The gate goes up, and half of them don't do anything, and then half of them shoot out like they're gonna like you know conquer the world, but almost none of them go straight there. They stop and scratch. They roll in the mud. They fight with each other. They forget where they're going. And they're poor owners down at the finish line going, Co- Cooper, please just come here. There's a prize. I know what it's like to be that. To, to start out hot and get distracted, get discouraged. Um, coming off a camp high is like a classic example of that. You know, you come down from the men's retreat and you go, yes, I'm going to live like that every day. And then you just go to work and it's the same dummies in the office and it's hard. Or if you're a New Year's resolution kind of person, in shape is going to be a lot more crowded here in two months. It's true. I know because I faithfully go once or twice a month and... The the once a month I go in January is packed. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe even a little closer to home, maybe there's somebody that you love that you had a a sit down with a heart to heart and like it was a friend, it was a spouse, it was a child, it was somebody and you sat down and was like, you know what, you're right, I need to change. I'm gonna be different. And you know what it's like to wake up the next morning and go, yep, I'm a new man. And then you know what it's like for the cares of the world, to make it hard to finish that race. Psalm 126, I, well, I guess what I'm saying is, I think you know what it's like to need mercy. Psalm 126 is actually a lament, but it's a community lament. It's a lament that's for all of us, uh, but it has some unique pieces to it. Um, you know, the, the, what Fenton just read is mostly sounds pretty joyful. It begins with this super joyful praise for something that's a lament, um, but the heart of the psalm is regret. And I love it when people stand up and go, I've said this on Wednesday nights before, but I love it when people stand up and go, I don't regret anything I've ever done because it's made me the man I am today. And I go, holy smoke, I regret something every day. Anytime I have fallen short of the glory of God, I'm sorry, I regret it, because some of those things have made me the man I am today, and I'd rather be better than I am today. But this, so this is a psalm for all of us that know what regret is like. And especially for, if you know what it's like to regret and need to start again. You know, it's, it's not an a uncommon thing to say God is the God of second chances. But that's not true. God is the God of infinite chances. And just at the beginning of this psalm today, can I just start by saying God is so good. God is merciful to us sinners. And if you are sitting there going, well, this isn't for me because I'm not a sinner. You know, I think you are, but that's, that's between you and God. But if you know, if you let your guard down just a little bit and go, I don't have to adjudicate which are the sins and which aren't. I just know I need mercy. I just know that there's parts of my life where I've started and failed and started and failed and started and failed. And I leave a, a, a great time in the Word and go, I am not going to be judgmental today at all. But then I get out in the word, world and everybody's begging for Judgment. And I have to start over again tomorrow and go, okay, God, would you take judgment from me? If you know what it's like to need mercy, then today is the psalm for you. And if you don't think that you need mercy, would you rend your heart and repent? God, if you will be honest with Him, is so good. There is nothing that He is unwilling or unable to forgive in your life, if you will call out to him. If you have pride, if you have sin that you're holding on to, may today be the day of your salvation as you come face to face with how good God is. Psalm 126 starts with this, you know, um, maybe it's because I, I, you know, i I'm, not a bubbly personality, but but there's this very bittersweet kind of start. But it sounds great. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream and you go, okay, immediately there's a story there. Immediately you go, that didn't drop out of nothing. No, there wouldn't something needed restoration. There was a time in the past where these folks who are traveling to Jerusalem and the the whole, you know, the whole Song of Ascent story, and they're on the way with the family, gathering people as they go, and the song, one of the songs they're singing is, do you remember when God restored us, restored the fortunes of Zion? one of the things that this song is about is this song is about the goodness available in the presence of God. We were like those who dream, the psalmist says, It's like it was too good to be true. And I don't know exactly. This psalm is one of many psalms that is wonderfully vague. I don't know exactly when this is about, but we could dream a little bit, couldn't we? Can you imagine coming into Canaan after 40 years in the desert and hearing all the stories about your parents' generation and growing up in in slavery in Egypt and and slugging it out in the desert and then being a young man or woman and coming into Canaan and going, wow, there's food here and that stuff grows here. And this was great and manna was a blessing, but it was boring. And we've got food and crops and stuff. And look at, we're like people that dream. Or maybe he's referring, the psalmist is referring to maybe after David, you know, brings the ark into Jerusalem and there's this party, oh my gosh, we have a capital and we have a temple or tabernacle and the ark is coming in and we have a king who's following Yahweh and we have Yahweh in the presence of the people and there's shouts of joy. We're like ones who dream. This is so good, man, when God restored us. It was so good. Maybe he's even thinking of shivering in fear before the Philistines. You remember in David's time when David's a, a young man and the Philistines are there and the Philistines are, you know, pirates, basically. You know, they come from far away and they're seafaring and they're on the coast and they're like, Yarhar, we're gonna kill you. And they've got giants and it's just, crazy, and it was like, we're all these little Jewish guys, and these big, huge Philistines, and one of them in particular keeps calling us out, and like, oh my gosh, and all of the fear, and then to watch this little kid, this teenager, by the way, that's who starts revolutions, it's teenagers, um, uh, pour into them, love them well, volunteer in youth group, you can talk to David later, um, out there with a slingshot, like, zoom, ah, we're like those who dream we win, when we were close to God when we were following him life was good don't over spiritualize it life was good we were comfortable we had a good time but don't under spiritualize it either he says there's laughter and joy we were like those who dream then our then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was shouts of joy you know, sometimes I wonder what God's perfect world would be like. Like, what's heaven going to be like? And what? how's heaven typically portrayed in pop culture? Very sterile. You know, it's all white. Um, it's very quiet. There's, uh, I would like to know, It's pro- there's probably some key that the song is always in. I should figure that out. But like, it's always very like, m- not exciting orchestral music, but just very, blah, you know, and and everybody's moving like very slowly. And it just seems very stagnant and stale. And we might think, is that the world that God wants? That's not the world that God created. It's also not the world that we see coming in the new heaven and the new earth, but rather we see in Eden and the new heaven and the new earth, vibrancy, rivers and gardens and animals and forests and water and just like life. laughter, joy. It wouldn't be somber in God's perfect world, not slow-moving robes and boring music and scholarly conversation. Like, what good is scholarship in the new heaven and new earth? I promise I have done nothing that is transferable in my professional life (laughs) into the new heaven and new earth. If you can farm you're the one who is going to lead us in the new heaven and new earth like that it's going to be a life-giving stuff when our pilgrim thinks about the good times in israel he says there was laughter and joy sometimes we forget the pers- that the pursuit of god is the pursuit of joy it's not the pursuit of moral perfection although you'll be a better person you'll make better choices wisdom is certainly in the presence of god no but rather when we are pursuing joy we're pursuing god and when the pilgrim thinks about just like that youth kid i run into and he goes man back when i was like going to church camp and back when i was like walking with the lord those were i remember those so fondly those were good times there was laughter and joy And when you reflect on that, isn't it mostly true that most things that we consider like sinful vices, you know, um, are just attempts at laughter and joy without God? We put everything in our body from drugs to cheesecake, (laughs) looking for joy. That's why we wear ourselves out trying to be whatever successful means. Maybe that'll be the good life. Maybe it's that, that corner office where the joy, is that where they're hiding the joy? Is it in the corner office? Maybe I should get there. It's probably why we give into sexual sin. Maybe that's the path to joy. Maybe that's why we lie. Maybe it's why we steal. Maybe it's why we cheat on our taxes. We're just looking for joy. We're looking for the good life. And the psalmist says, you know, when life was good, when God was the one who restored us, when we were walking with the Lord, this is when life was good because we fall victim to the great lie that joy and laughter are better found outside the presence of God's will. And right now, as we sit here on Sunday morning, don't we all go, that's not true. That's obviously dumb. We're Christians after all. And yet when we get out there, isn't that lie ever before us? That where the good life is, where joy is, is somewhere else. It's not in faithfulness, it's not in obedience, it's actually in rebellion. And apparently this psalmist or his people had been down that path. The path of seeking joy outside of God's will and presence. We think of the prodigal son who has to end up in a pigsty, before it comes to his right mind, and he goes, man, life was better when I was faithful and obedient. But we also think of the elder son in that story, who never figured out where the good life was, who was there with his father. You know the story. I don't have time to tell it, but if you don't, look it up. It's in your Bible. It's a good story. You'll enjoy it. The person next to you knows where to find it. Just ask him. Um, but that older son who was always faithful, but in a legalistic way, He did his job, but he never loved his dad. Was that where joy was? You know, I think it's maybe most profoundly demonstrated in the story of Pinocchio. Do you remember where Pinocchio goes when he wants to be a real boy? You remember he gets, there's some kids smoking on the sidewalk or something. he He thinks that's a good idea. So he goes with these ruffians. And you remember where he gets talked into going? To Pleasure Island. Am I right? I'm right. I think. I've seen it. A long time ago. But what happens in Pleasure Island is you pursue ice cream and, and something in a brown bottle or whatever it is, and you become less than human. You turn into a donkey. You sprout ears. You sprout a tail. You start to ee-haw. And... That's what sin does, is it promises life, but it dehumanizes us. But maybe you know, in fact, I guarantee you know what it's like to chase something that was promising life and ending up feeling a little less than human, a little less than the full you, like you gave something away. I think Zacchaeus and Matthew, both tax collectors who had gained great wealth in, in the Roman Empire in a way that was totally legal. Like they were not doing anything. They were totally, they could, you know, they were the, the good guys from Rome's point of view. As far as legality, there was nothing they were doing that was wrong. And yet when they saw Jesus, they realized, now I've been chasing the good life and I've lost it completely. We think of Paul who before he met Jesus had sought joy in religious perfection, even persecuting those who thought differently. Man, I'm so glad that we live in a time when people don't get in their religious corner and pretend that they're the only people that have anything right and persecute other people and talk bad about people who think differently than them. Aren't you glad that we're past that and never have to do that again? And you know what? I'll tell you the truth because you know I'm being sarcastic and that happens all the time. But... The truth is there's no joy in it, and it's pretty obvious. Those people who uh, are finding joy in religious perfection are miserable and making everybody around them miserable too. There's no joy, there's anger. And all people who walk down that road for a while come to a realization that the good life, that joy was not found in rebellion. Rebellion. And let's be honest, that's a tough lesson to learn. That's a hard thing to know. And lots of us have to figure it out the hard way. Because it's not immediately obvious to us humans that submission to God is the path to joy. But guys, submission to God is the path to joy. Do you like laughing? Do you like joy? It is found in the presence of God. Our life in the new heaven and new earth will not just be somber Bible memory. Rather, in fact, go memorize some Scripture. See if it doesn't produce joy. No, rather, in Christ we can look forward to an awful lot of laughter, an awful lot of joy. It doesn't take long to learn that rebellion doesn't lead to that. But it does take some time. Not only is this a psalm about the good life in Christ, but it's a song about the mission of God's people too. Isn't this profound? It says, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Do you want to be a church that's good at evangelism? Like, do you want to be attractive to the world? How about we be a place where there's lots of joy and laughter? Now, I don't mean saying no, you know, like ignoring the trouble in our life. I mean the kind of people that cry well with each other and laugh well with each other where there is joy in the Lord in our midst. The psalmist goes, you know when we, the only times we've ever really been on mission, the only times we've ever really been a light to the nations is when we were experiencing the joy of our salvation. Not only is this a psalm about mission, and about the goodness and the presence of God. But this is also a psalm about the regret of walking away from God. Verse 4 is pretty sad. Just look how it starts. Restore our fortunes. And you go, restore? What happened? In fact, isn't that the same word that was used at the top in verse 1? When God restored us, things were good. And now we've come to a point where we're like, God, we need you to do it again. What began as the celebration of past restoration has now turned into a prayer for future restoration. I guess I just want to say, if that's the valley you're in, you had good times with the Lord in the past, you know what that peace and joy is like when you're walking with the Lord, and yet now you have walked away and you are in a valley of going, man, I am a long way from the Lord right now, it is still appropriate to pray that God would do it again. That God will bring you back home. What happened? Of course, we can't exactly know. And again, that's probably the point. Because walking away from God is not usually one sin or one rebellion, but it's a season of compromise. Many times you just kind of wake up and go, man, it's been a long time since I felt close to God, or it's been a long time since I was anything but a judgmental Baptist. Like, I got to, I, I just, I, I am a long way from a vibrant relationship with God. I've let sin. I've let bad habits, I've let bitterness, I've let temptation, I've let just plain laziness creep in, and over time, I now stand here and go, gosh, I remember when God first restored me. God, could you do it again? How tragic that we can take our salvation for granted like that, but we absolutely can. That we can get so comfortable being God's people that we stop, stop acting like God's people. And usually in seasons like that, and I mean, many of us know we could sit around and tell stories. Usually in seasons like that, we've picked up some scars. There's some broken relationships. There's been some consequences. What do you do then? You know, too many people get to that point. Where they had seasons close to God, but they've let sin or laziness or folly or whatever it is rob them of that. It's been the scorching wind and they didn't have enough roots or, or, or it's been the wor- worries and cares of the world and, and their faith got choked out. And then they sit there and they go, Gosh, I had a chance with God, but I blew it. And I guess that's it. But we gotta keep reading. Because mostly, although this is a psalm about regret, mostly this is a psalm about the love and mercy of God that outpaces your rebellion and failure. Are you a rebel? Have you failed? God's mercy is more. You are a lightweight in your rebellion compared to God's mercy and grace. The audacity of verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like in a future tense. That is a pretty gutsy prayer, isn't it? God, remember how good it was when you were in control. I remember what that was like when we were faithfully walking with you, but we walked away, we rebelled. So God, would you restore us again? How many people in your life do you know that would say yes to that? Like, doesn't your mercy have a limit? With people in your life, how many times would you give them a fresh start? How many times would you say, sure, welcome back into my presence? And we apply like our limited mercy. Like you don't have unlimited mercy outside of your relationship with the Lord. And we apply our limited grace, our limited mercy, and we apply that to God. And that is foolish. God is unlimited in grace. God is unlimited in mercy. So if you have had seasons of walking faithfully with the Lord and are currently in a season of regret, come home. God's mercy is enough. God is so good. If you have been walking with Jesus for a while, it might have stopped shocking you How merciful God is. God's willingness to forgive time after time, failure after failure. You remember the the familiar words of Lamentations 3. I know you were reading Lamentations this week. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You can't stop the steadfast love of the Lord. It doesn't matter how dark the valley. It doesn't matter how bad your sin. You cannot stop The steadfast love of the Lord. His mercies never come to an end. You remember what mercy is. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you rightly deserve. That part of God that desires to forgive you instead of condemn you has no bounds. God is so good. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Apart from Christ, is your mercy new every morning? No, you wake up still irritated at people who failed you from the day before. In fact, people can continue to build up to where they have failed you so many times that there's really not a road back into your presence. But God is not like that. His mercy is brand new every morning. Do you hear how ridiculous that is? Like, I know you're a Christian, you've heard this before, and it's like not shocking to you. But do you just for a minute hear how ridiculous it is that the all-powerful God has fresh mercy for you every day? And let me tell you something else. He has fresh mercy for the most unrepentant sinner in your life. You can totally find the limits to human love and mercy. And we got to keep ourselves safe. That might not be a bad thing. But you can't find the limit to God's mercy. So even when you're on your way to the feast and you're thinking about, you know, the Songs of Ascent thing, the pilgrim going up to the feast, maybe even thinking about his year and going, oh man, I really let God down this year. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was not faithful and I was mean to my neighbor and I, was, I failed in all these ways. And so singing a song of like, God, you restored us before. Would you restore us again? Because... Also, this is a psalm about the confidence in a future under God's care. Look at the last couple verses of the psalm. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. couple of pictures there. First of all, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was one of the most arid regions in the land. There's no streams in the Negev. But, so it would go from totally, you know, barren. But every once in a while, the rainy season would come. And the rainy season was like a couple days of rain if they were lucky. But that seed is just right there at the surface. And you get a couple days of rain and the thing springs to life. Green everywhere. So it's this picture of how quickly God can bring new life to the Repentance Center. It's like saying, God, would you please restore me like rushing valleys, uh, rushing river valleys running through Death Valley? You know, would you just completely change the whole you know, ecosystem of my life? So this is a prayer for quick refreshment. And let me tell you, if you're in a place where you need refreshment, would you turn to God today? Would you turn to Jesus today? The tomb is empty. He has the power to save you right now. And if you are saved, but you've just been a bad son or daughter, (laughs) You you just haven't been walking with the Lord, man, He loves you enough. Your heart could change today. It's a prayer. God, we feel dry. We know that you can add new life right here and now. And that's a really important aspect of God's mercy to understand. He doesn't make us jump through hoops. There's no like, oh, you want refreshment? Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you be good for a couple weeks and we'll talk about it? No, there's none of that. He delights to show you mercy. He delights to forgive. He delights in fresh starts and second, third, fourth, and 10,000 chances. God's mercy can bring fresh life in dry places in your life right now. Just turn to Him. Just come home. And then there's also this um, different image in in verses 5 and 6. It's this joy that comes from sowing sorrow. Look, from sowing repentance. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, all at once. But then also, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So this is like farming imagery, right? We know about sowing and reaping and the seasons that go with it. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. Seeds growing a crop is not like streams in the Negev. It takes time. It takes time to grow. There are seasons. There's a planting season. There's a decision what will be planted in our lives. And refreshment comes with that, but you still need joy to grow, don't you? If you're in a season of sorrow, you need a season of growth in a peace and joy. So there is the initial streams in the Negev, fresh mercy, poof, just new life right now. But there is also the sowing of repentance that God might grow something beautiful in you over time. There's a season of planting. There's a season of faithfulness and growth, of weeding, of watering, of learning how to live in Christ's family, of, of you know, pruning sin and doubt and all of that, and, and, and learning to, to walk with the Lord. And then there's a season of harvest. Enjoy enjoying the fruits of your labor. I love the picture that is given to us. Um, I, I, you know, This isn't particularly meaningful to, to most of us, but uh, if you're in an agricultural land and you say bearing seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with them. Can you imagine just these people just singing songs about how good the harvest was with sheaves of wheat on each arm, just like, ha, ha, ha. I was sad, but now look at this abundance. So there are two parts to the joy of the Lord that are available in His mercy. First, there is initial refreshment. Just turn to Him and be refreshed like streams in the Negev. And also, if you will learn to walk with Him day in and day out, He will grow in you this abundant joy. Right now, the psalmist sees his people in a time of sorrow, but he says, man, if we will repent, if we will cry out to God, if we will say, Lord, would you restore our fortunes again, then this sorrow will turn into joy. They expect, they trust that God will, in time, grow shouts of joy once again in their lives. And I think that's a wonderful picture of God's mercy. That an initial experience of repentance can be a wonderful thing. But then you might wake up tomorrow still struggling with the same bad habits or the same difficult situation. So there is an initial spring of joy in repentance and confession. And then also, as you faithfully walk with God, He will grow deep joy in you. The sobbing person sows, but they come back carrying Abundant sheaves of harvest, just joy. God brings life from death. God delights to forgive. God delights to give mercy. He can do no else. That's His nature. That's His character. God brings plenty from lack. Man, if you're in a season where it's been a while since you've experienced the good life of laughter and joy. Could I encourage you to cry out for the mercy of God? Could I encourage you to trust him, to sing the same song? God, when things were good and I was walking with you, it was great. And God, I need you to do a fresh work in my life. And know that he does not look at us according to our sin, but rather He looks at us according to the blood of His Son. That it is not because you've been good for a while that He wants to bring joy into your life. But rather it's because He, in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, has done everything needed for your forgiveness and salvation. For you to experience joy. You, right now, right where you are, with all your doubts with the mess that you are the whole thing would you cry out to him would you turn to him afresh this morning let me pray heavenly father thank you for a beautiful song lord i love i love these psalms um, they're the the lyrics are great and they touch my heart lord i'm so grateful that in times when i've not been faithful enough when i have wandered away when i've you know been in rebellion when my heart has been judgmental and hard-hearted lord that without fail you have been willing to welcome me back with mercy and grace god thank you for what you have accomplished through Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, thank you for the availability of new life to all of us right now. And Lord, if there's somebody in the room that just needs to say yes to you this morning, Lord, it doesn't take full understanding. It just takes enough faith to reach out to you and say, God, if there's any joy, I want to live for that. I want to live for you. Lord, if there are Christians that are, have been beat up by life and the worries of the world have choked out some faith and, and, and there's, there's grief and sorrow, Lord, may we plant the seeds of repentance and turn to You today and expect that in season, in due time, You will produce joy in our lives. But God, today, would You call us to just be a people who's turning to You, crying out, Lord, we're not trusting anything else to restore our fortunes. But Lord, you are the one we're turning to. Lord, would you rescue us, even those of us that have been Christians for years. Lord, we need to be rescued from our own frailty. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy. Help us to not stop crying out for that mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.